Hello, and welcome to Health and Fitness Redefined. I'm your host, Anthony Amen. Join me today as we take a dive into the world of health and fitness, where we learn how to overcome adversity, to pick back first fiction, and see health and fitness in a whole new light. Today, guys, we have a story that's going to keep you hooked and rang for more. I am really excited to learn more about this amazing woman to kind of show you guys that anything is possible. I know just the little tidbit, so I'm going to learn at the same time as you guys learn about her story, but I don't want to spoil it. I want to hear it coming from her. So without further ado, mm-hmm. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm very excited to hear about your life and hear what you've <laughs> done. It just sounds absolutely amazing, and I hope anybody listening at least walks home with some sense of, I got this, and can tackle the issues in their own life. Yes, you got this. <laughs> I love it. So first, just tell us, why am I so excited? So I want you to bring us back to before anything you've done now, and kind of where is your story starting? For started from? Well, I was born. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, not going to go all the way back. <laughs> um, I had a great childhood. I was very athletic. I was actually on my way to get a basketball scholarship to Stanford. I had been working really hard in basketball, but also with my grades as well, because if some of you know, getting into Stanford, you also have to have the academics too. You can't just get a basketball scholarship or sports scholarship based on uh, sports alone. It has to be academic as well. So I really have been working really hard since like literally like the second grade since it was, it kind of dawned on me that my parents were in a tight financial situation and I would probably have to get financial aid or get a scholarship or, you know, having school debt or something like that. So I was working real hard and I was real close. I had a scout Um, I was literally on my way, like unless something huge happened, um, I I was definitely going to Stanford on that basketball scholarship. And my sophomore year of high school, um, my family decided to take a trip out to Colorado. We drove out there. Uh, It was a family reunion. And on the way there, we hit a huge monsoon rainstorm out in the middle of the desert which just comes out of nowhere, just black and just starts pouring down, dumping. And I remember lightning striking, you know, 20 feet away from the car and just thinking how bizarre this was because like two hours before that, you know, it was bright, sunny day. We had lunch. Um, I was in shorts. It was hot outside. We were on summer vacation and all of a sudden it was dark and super cold and rainy. Um, and my mom turns around and says, you know, girls, make sure you have your seatbelts on. It was my mom, my dad, my younger sister and me. Um, my older sister couldn't uh, make the trip because she was older and working and, you know, that kind of a thing. And um, I said, Mom, hold on. I, I, you know, I dropped my CD and I unclicked my seatbelt and I reached down to get my CD and the car started hydroplaned. And it started to spin out of control and actually rolled off a ravine um, into into a gully um, below the road. And we were there for a a good amount of time. Um, It was at least 10 years, um, 
10 or 20 years afterwards um, that I finally actually took that route again. I, I drove that road to actually see the exact spot with my own two eyes again. And it was, it was a deep, it was a deep ravine. So if you were to drive by it, unless you were really stretching your neck to like look down in, into that ravine, you wouldn't have seen the vehicle. Um, and by the grace of God, um, somebody did see us and uh, came running over. Um, I was actually ejected outside, um, outside of the car. I was thrown out of the back of the vehicle. My dad was killed instantly on impact. Uh, my mom's legs were completely crushed under the dash of the car. And my little sister had minor injuries. She broke her elbow. Um, her elbow did a full rotation and then she broke her ankle. And she actually remembers me, you know, hearing me in the distance swearing um, and her trying to, you know, crawl through broken glass to get to me. But then she ended up passing out. Um, my mom passed out pretty, pretty fast after they stopped rolling. Um, my little sister does remember, though, trying to wake my dad up, which obviously didn't work because he was killed instantly on impact. And um, when the guy came to rescue us, he kind of assessed the situation and, uh, you know, called for help, of course. And he actually heard a man's voice. He heard a man's voice and literally felt he was being shoved in the direction where I was because I was thrown 150 feet away from the car. I, I was in bushes. You know, you couldn't really see me. And um, he heard a man's voice pushing him towards this direction, um, which, of course, was my dad. And there I was not breathing, completely purple. And so he turned me on my side, got me breathing, called the ambulance um, I was airlifted in a helicopter. Um, I actually, I died on the way over to the hospital and then I died that night. Um, they, you know, definitely told my mom, you know, that I definitely was probably not going to make it, um, that evening. So wow. they were definitely preparing for that. And, um, I, I woke up and I had, um, obviously I was paralyzed. Um, my dad was dead. I had a broken clavicle. I had broken ribs. Uh, one of my lungs was punctured. One of my lungs was collapsed. So I had a breathing tube in. It was really messed up. My head was split open too. Um, so for a number of months after the accident, I went through tons of psychological tests just to make sure that my brain was still intact. Um, for the most part, it is. Um, but, uh, I do see like little glitches, like every, every now and then, you know, I, that I'm just personally aware of, but, um, to the entering eye, nobody really, nobody really knows. Um, and then I started my journey. I, I, I woke up and I, I kind of knew something horrible had happened for some reason. I already knew about my dad and, but I needed the, the physical confirmation. And so I, I got the physical confirmation from my grandmother, um, and then I couldn't wiggle my toes um, when I woke up. I, I knew something was wrong, like with me, you know, that something was seriously wrong. But the word paralyzed just was not in my vocabulary or something I was thinking of at 14. And so, um, yeah, I was told that, I, you know, that I was paralyzed, you know, that I wouldn't be able to walk and all that kind of stuff. And um, had a rod, um, a rod put it in my back uh, to secure it. And then I did a bunch of physical therapy um, afterwards um, for I want a number to stop of right there first. I need to stop you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just want to wrap my head around all of this. You guys <laughs> flipped over. You, your dad died on impact. You blacked out because you were thrown out of the car. Your sister was awake the whole time. 
Yeah. I mean, and when mom was awake too, like she remembers rolling, you know, and she was awake for like a little bit um, after they stopped rolling, but she, she passed out. Um, But yeah, my little sister remembers trying to wake my dad up and then crawling through broken glass to try to wake me up or, you know, try to get to me, but she passed out on the glass. Um, And then she actually saw me. um, She was in the, in the vehicle or in the in the helicopter while they were using the defibrillator on me. So they saw her older sister being completely stripped down naked and, you know, using the paddles on me. So that was that was something real nice for, you know, 11 year old to, to wow. go through as well. That must that, that's a traumatizing experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like my life was literally totally going one direction and it was 360 and then some. So when you woke up and you're now understanding that your dad died from this, what did they, and was your mom there? Was she, her legs broken, but able to walk? Oh yeah. She definitely wasn't able to walk at all. Um, she needed several surgeries um, um, after, after the accident. Um, and her, and actually I was in one hospital cause I was in like a really intense ICU and, um, my little sister, and my mom were actually in a different hospital. So that was actually my mom's first huge task that took, I want to say two weeks, three weeks of just every day, her pounding and, you know, like pounding at her doctor saying, okay, like I need to be in the same hospital as my daughter. Like this is, period, like the end. This is like the only thing that that has to happen right now. Um, So that was her, that was kind of like her number one, uh, her number one goal. My little sister was um, released out of the hospital fairly quickly because like I said, she had minor, minor injuries, but my mom's legs were definitely crushed. She definitely had to um, be in the hospital longer. And then she actually followed me to um, Vallejo, California, where we actually did rehab um, for a little while too, together. Um, I was there longer after her, but she was there initially for a little bit because she had to do rehab herself as well. It, what was going through your mind? I mean, the mental state you wake up and you're kind of hearing all what's going on, like your mental state, take us through what that was like. Um, well, everything was fine for the most part until I got off morphine. <laughs> um, I mean, like my mom, like I love to sleep. I love to sleep. So the morphine didn't really last too long. Um, I mean, it was definitely needed. Uh, My God, it was needed. Um, But uh, my mom knowing that like I love to sleep and she was very adamant with the doctors and saying like, okay, this girl's not going to fight to get this breathing tube out if you keep giving her morphine, period, the end. And so that was like the brutal wake up call after that. I definitely, um, you know, there was, it was a lot, it was, the breathing tube was painful. I mean, it was, it was really painful. And um, because I was laying down and um, with fluid collecting and whatnot, they would have to um, do this like pump thing. Um, like in my chest, they would basically like induce a cough, you know, but it, it hurt. It hurt when they would like induce it. They would do something to the machine to kind of like uh, give, give my chest a pump to induce a cough. But then sometimes that wouldn't even get all the mucus out. So they would actually have to stick a a tube down my nose, down the back of my throat and into my lungs to suck up the mucus. And that hurt a lot. Like, And they had to do that a few times. They had to do that a few times. And I definitely remember crying a lot (laughs) 
not wanting that to happen. Um, and then even well after the um, after I was healed and whatnot, um, there was one time that they wanted to then um, check my vocal cords to make sure my vocal cords weren't scraped or whatnot from the ventilator and me pulling out the ventilator when I was kind of unconscious. Um, cause yeah, there was definitely a period when I was in the hospital too, when I first was in the hospital, um, for the first week or so, like first 10 days, week or so, like I was definitely like in and out, like not even like really there, like at, at all. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't really, I don't remember really anything about that, that period whatsoever. But, um, so when they had to check my vocal cords to make sure I didn't, um, scrape them. I was just absolutely terrified. I'm like, no, 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 no. We are not doing that procedure again where you have to stick something down my nose, like down my throat and into my lung. Like, no, we're not doing that again. Like I've already done all that. Like I'm perfectly fine and well and healthy. Like we're just gonna leave my vocal cords as they are. Okay. Um, but of course that wasn't, you know, taken very well. And I was forced to do the procedure. Um, but yeah, there was, there was a lot going through my, I mean, a lot going through my mind. Um, but for the most part, being, being an athlete, um, I have really good mental discipline of just not getting overwhelmed and wanting just to, you know, be at the finish line when I just started the race kind of thing. Um, so really each day I just would do what I could do. I was aware of what I physically was able to do. I mean, when I first started, even just sitting up in bed was a big deal. Like sitting up, sitting, even not me, even not fully. I'm just like, just ever so slightly sitting up ever so slightly more um, would just, they would do that for like 15 or 20 minutes because they're trying to uh, train my blood pressure again. And it was just painful. Like I would just be sweating. I would be so dizzy. It, it was just, it was a really hard process to get used to. Yeah. And then, People don't understand how quickly your body atrophies, even yeah. a day of yeah. laying down in a hospital can, it screws you up. We get standing becomes an, all of a sudden a super hard task. I couldn't imagine weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and then my body, of course, going through all that, that trauma and then just kind of being in this like hyper, like security mode and whatnot. Um, and then I remember the first time actually fully sitting up in bed in the hospital with a physical therapist and um, having my feet dangle on the side of the bed and just feeling absolutely terrified that I was going to slip out of his arms and just smack my face into onto the ground. Like, that's what I thought, because I had absolutely no balance whatsoever. It took me at least six months to be able to sit on the edge of my wheelchair and put my hands in front of me and do this, like to have the balance to do that. I mean, it took, and that was a, that was a lot of work. That was daily, daily working towards that goal. Um, and it was, yeah, that was, it was, it was definitely terrifying. Um, How did you yeah, recover I just, I just did whatever like I had that. to do. What's that? How did you recover? I, I'm talking mentally, physically, you were able to get yourself up and moving. I, I know a lot of people and personally that something way more minor than what happened to you happens to them. And they're like, oh, <laughs> that's it. Life's over. I stubbed my finger. I know that's a little bit like over-exaggerating, but yeah, you get my yeah. point. 
Um, I don't know, like, I just know that there's, there's so much to understand and explore in this world. Um, I guess without me even like being able to mentally comprehend, I knew that there was just something more like to life and like to this experience, um, even physically, like from the wheelchair, like I knew that there was still a lot in life that I could still experience, you know, like I wanted to try different, you know, different foods. I mean, even just that, you know, simple aspect, you know, um, that there's still just so much in life to, to see. And I was just going to figure it out. I'm like, okay, this is, this is just going to be my new way of, of getting around. Okay. And I'm just going to have to, just to figure this out now. This is just, I mean, not to say there weren't like rough days or I didn't get frustrated, you know, trying to figure out how to open up a door on a hill, you know, that definitely takes, takes some skills, you know, maneuvering back, you know, and moving forward and whatnot. Um, it's different if you have a power, power wheelchair, but even still that takes skills. Um, but yeah, I mean, going over cracks, you know, like having just the tiniest pebble, just literally stop me in my tracks. You know, I'm like wheeling a class, you know, I'm talking to friends, whatever. I'm wheeling a class, you know, trying to feel like as normal as possible. And then all of a sudden, just the tiniest little pebble gets stuck underneath my, one of my front wheels and it literally stops my wheelchair, but I'm still moving. So you can imagine momentum, like I tumble out onto the ground and my wheelchair stays where it is. Um, that's happened so many times. Um, but of course now, like I know after so many occurrences, um, I'm just constantly, if, if, if I'm in my manual chair and out and about, like I'm constantly looking at the ground. Like I might be looking up and talking to you and whatnot, but I'm constantly checking like the ground for little twigs and rocks and cracks and, and so on. Um, but it definitely was, was a transition. And there was this, um, this moment that was really big about a year after, um, after the year after the, the accident, exactly one year after the accident, I was at Shriners, which is a children's hospital. And it was the day of the accident. I was all there by myself. Um, some of the other people who were doing rehab knew that it was um, the day of my accident. So they were kind of more sympathetic towards me that day and gave me a little bit more space. And I was just really reflective, you know, just didn't know how I was going to feel. I was just thinking about, you know, where I was, where I, where I was going to go and whatnot. And I remember being on the balcony of, of Shriners and I wrote a poem. I'm very I've, I've been writing poetry since like second grade or something like that. And um, it's a good way for me to just to, you know, tap into something that I don't fully understand or know how to express myself. Sometimes I might express myself more. Yeah. Um, visually, like in, in my writing and which I did in this case. So I'm sitting on the balcony and I'm thinking about what, you know, you know, what's going on, like in, in my head and my heart and my soul. And I write this poem called I Can Fly. And it's about me basically being a bird. I'm a bird on this balcony watching the world below me. And the world's black and white. And, you know, everything's moving really fast and people are scurrying, you know, this way and that way. And um, I just don't know, like, where I kind of fit in. And I'm kind of scared. And I, But I know that I need to, I'm, I'm a bird. Like, I need to fly. Like, I need to jump off this balcony and and, and do this, you know, this is like my life and I just need to, you know, not have any doubts. I just need to adapt and I need to accept where, where I am right now. And so 
um, without me realizing like this poem was basically about acceptance. So I'm, I'm on this ledge and I, and I jump off, I jump off this ledge in acceptance of this new wheelchair life that I now am in. Um, I'm looking at a black and white world, but I realize I'm not black and white. I'm, I'm definitely not like the rest of the world. And as I'm flying, um, I'm looking over at my wings and I realize that my wings are actually royal blue. They're turning from a black and white to royal blue. So because I accepted this new life of mine, um, I was no longer in a black and white world. I was in a colored world. I was definitely seeing the world completely differently, but in my mind, almost better. Like there, there's something that, that I saw some level of like appreciation. There's something like magical that, that I feel like I saw that I had tapped into that not everybody um, sees or gets to see. I want to mention that because that in and of itself is so beautiful. And I just, I couldn't agree more than you. And you hear this, I want to use the word survivors and it just, I've talked to a lot of you, uh, I myself have gone through something similar and it's just, you appreciate life so much more after something like that, yeah. that you don't get mad as much. You're just happy to be there. You're grateful. You know, you have a bigger purpose. You're, you're no longer just walking through life and kind of getting yeah. by. Yeah. And you, you really see a lot of people and actually most people in your life that just try to get by, but it's different for us. It's yeah. different for it's people just, who people go just task by task by task, you know, and being productive and accomplishing certain things. And it's like, wait, 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 do you feel the air on your face right now? Like, are you taking like a deep breath and being grateful that you're, outside smelling this fresh air and not being in a hospital smelling circulated air of microwave meals and medicines and, and so on. Um, I mean, there's so much, especially like during COVID. Oh my goodness. Like every single day that I know it was hard for a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And I definitely can relate to that and I can understand where they're, where they're coming from. But at the same time, I'm like, Oh, but you can go outside. You can go outside and, and, you know, look at a tree and go for a walk and, and breathe air. Like, that's wonderful. Like, that's that's a gift. Feel sunshine on your face. I mean, to really have that and appreciate that is, is such a gift because when you don't have that, um, I mean, I literally was in a hospital for like multiple times for a very long time, the initial surgery. And then 10 years later, I had to have surgery for a pressure sore. And I was laying in bed for a very long time without being able to go outside at all. And I remember um, after I became paralyzed, the, the first, you know, my, the initial accident and for my birthday, my, my 15th birthday, even though it was against doctor's orders and everything, um, all I wanted to do was to go outside. That's all I wanted was to go outside and get fresh air and anywhere. And so they allowed me to go on the balcony of the LDS hospital. And I remember the tree on the balcony and I will never, ever, ever forget that tree. Cause it was like that four o'clock, like afternoon hour where the sunlight is, is going through the tree and it's all, everything's all golden and purpley. And it was just so beautiful. And the air was so 
wonderful because we were so high up. It was just windy, even though it was hot outside, it was so windy and it felt so good compared to being in that cold, freezing, 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 freezing hospital that I was always so freezing at. Um, and I remember looking at this tree though, and, and I wrote about this in my book thinking that, wow, you know, like here's this tree suspended on like, I don't know, the 24th floor or something like that on a balcony planted in cement. Like it never imagined that this would be be its life. It never imagined that this, like this is going to be its life. And yet it's giving me so much joy and pleasure and happiness and hope and just love in this world. And I'm like, if that tree can do that, I can do that. Like I can, I can be that as well. Like whatever life gives me, like there's so much that you can appreciate. There's so much that you can still, that you can give, that you can receive, you can accomplish, um, you can explore. It's just, it's, the barrier is, is the mind. The barrier is definitely the mindset. And I don't know, you probably agree with me, but I feel like it's, it sucks in a way that you have to go through something like that to really get that sense of appreciation that we now understand. So I guess my question to you is, is there another way for those folks that haven't gone through what we have to really get an understanding of that appreciation? Or is it the unfortunate truth of this is the way it is. And for those that do decide to overcome adversity, then those can really inherit the world is the best way to put it. Um, well, I definitely think it's tough. Um, it's it's definitely, it's mentally tough, like ha- whichever way it's delivered to you, because there's a lot of people that I've met who've had similar experiences as myself, and they don't see things exactly the way I see them. You know, they, they might have a little bit more, you know, still pessimistic, you know, negative, negative view on the world. So it's definitely not like, you know, everybody who goes through a tragedy, like, you know, comes out the same way. That's true. Um, but I feel like it definitely is mentally tough. Like it's mental, it's mental training. It's that's really all it is. So as much as you want to, you know, like think this thought about this particular thing, you know, it's, it's okay that it comes up, but then you have to just mentally, like you, you change that thought about it. Like, okay, I'm in a hospital, like, Oh, this smells, it's cold. Like, you know, like I'm just going to focus on this and why me? And I have so many weeks. You can keep, you can have that list and just focus on all that list, or you can focus, oh, I'm getting better. Look at all these great nurses who are taking care of me. Um, You know, I'm getting like visitors, you know, like friends and family are sending me cards, you know, I'm getting like, you know, love and compassion, you know, from these people and, you know, healing on, you know, maybe levels that I don't completely understand and feel like right now, Um, but it's happening. You know, you can, you know, you can focus on like the warm blanket or you can focus on, you know, that IV in your arm. <laughs> what a crazy story, Ashley. I got to be honest. I didn't know that. And it's just, it's so mind blowing. But I want you to talk us, or at least take us into what you're doing now. And all about helping those, I guess, that are in a current situation. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing and what your yeah. mission is. I love it. Yeah. So um, after I graduated college, I was working a job. And then on the side, I was teaching myself how to code and coded my first website. Um, I've gone through a couple websites since then and have had to 
get some help from more advanced coders because like I said, I, I taught myself um, and there's just a lot to coding and there's definitely some really advanced things that I don't really know how to do. So I definitely have gotten a little help over the years, but for the most part, like yeah, I'm, you know, 100% have built these things. And um, the mission is to empower people with limited mobility, their friends and loved ones to experience the world of adventure and leisure travel. Um, I have everything on the site from guides for parks and cities, um, tips on hotels and transportation, flying on an airplane, um, different equipment to, to bring that makes traveling easier, um, um, accessible tour companies as well that, um, that I work with that, you know, definitely organize, you know, head to tail, um, accessible experiences, you know, all around the world. Um, so the idea is if somebody wanted to travel in a group, um, you know, there's different options for them. Or if somebody wanted just to go backpacking around Europe, that they could actually come to my site and see, OK, this hotel is accessible. OK, I can get around, you know, this train, you know, to use the train in Europe, I have to do this and that, you know, in order to notify them I'm in a wheelchair. And these are the steps I need to take um, in order to prepare myself. Um, so I just basically wanted to put like the, the tools and resources in the individual's hand because only that person knows what they're willing to put up with, um, what their you know limitations are, what their abilities are, um, you know, what they're not willing to put up with. Um, maybe they're traveling with somebody, maybe they're not traveling with somebody. There's so many variables that, that exist. So I really wanted to give people the flexibility to, you know, see, you know, see the world, just to get out, use their body you know, and take some chances. So it's an understanding that even if we have these limitations, you can still see the world. You're not, you're only truly limited by your mindset. And I yeah, guess that's yeah. the beauty of that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's a way. I mean, I've been to South America a couple of times. I've, I've even been to Easter, Eastern Island. So, I mean, wow. you know, I've been to Japan by myself. That was my first international trip completely by myself. Um, didn't speak the language or anything and was able to get around beautifully well. Like Japan was just absolutely incredible. Like such an incredible place to, to travel to. And the people were just so amazing. I have so many wonderful memories from traveling there and people that I met and helping me and carrying me up shrines and um, really just treating me like, you know, I don't know, like, like I was like, like royalty, but just, just like an, a fellow human being, you know, not, somebody who uh, is trying to take advantage of a system or somebody like, you know, trying to, I don't know, is, is less than them or like, you know, not able as them. You know, I definitely didn't get that, that feeling at all when I was there. So what's your next journey with this? Is it just trying to get people out there to show that it's possible? Are you going to be escapating your own travels? What's, what's the ultimate mission here for you? Um, well, the ultimate mission, um, the ultimate mission is to definitely raise awareness in the tourism industry so they start giving us the information that we're looking for so people like me don't have to go out and research all this information. Um, we're trying to create um, a platform, you know, like what information to share, how to share it. Um, you know, let's say you're doing um, a tourism video. Don't just have closed captioning about what the individuals actually just saying, have audio descriptive captioning, describe what does the person look like? You know, if you're creating a video, what's the vibe of this video? You know, is it gloomy? Is it bright? Is it dramatic? You know, is there seascapes? You know, is, is it a sunny day? Is it a stormy day? You know, like let people in 
um, who can't see visually, you know, like on that experience as, as well. So I'm looking at for for you know various people with um, with different disabilities. Um, but I really want to see, yeah, like more information on people's websites, you know, whether it's hotels and having pictures of what the shower looks like. Um, we need to know whether or not it's a roll-in shower or there's a shower with a bathtub. This is very important information. And there's just so much research and time that's spent trying to figure out these tiny little details. Like, is there a bathroom? I mean, like e even in my, in my hometown in the Bay area, a number of weeks ago, um, I made an acupuncture appointment because my back has been really bothering me. And finally, I'm like, OK, maybe this will this will help me. And, um, you know, made the appointment. The city was built at least in the 80s and completely assumed that the building would be accessible. Completely assumed. I'm in a modern city. No, no. It's up a flight of stairs and there's no elevator. And, you know, that's just the way it is. Um, and there's so there's just things that I run into like that all the time. And so it's like if there's a restaurant, um, like let's say New York and there's like a number of steps. Um, I've been so impressed with New York, how they actually have a button or um, a phone number that you can call like, oh, yeah, like if you want access, like, please give us a call. Like we have a ramp. We'll bring a ramp out. And I used that feature a ton when I was in New York and it always worked and it was impeccable service. And I remember one time there was even a double set of stairs. So they had to bring two separate ramps. Oh, my um, God. It was quite the operation. But it still worked, you know, and they still allowed me to get in. But then I've been to, like, another city like um, Charleston. And, you know, there was, like, a, a ledge about this high to get into the get into the restaurant and I had my manual chair in and I'm trying to advocate for somebody who's in a power wheelchair because the, the owner's just like, Oh, I can just help you in. And you know, no problem. I'm like, yeah, I know. But like, that's not what it's about. Some people want to be independent and then some people might have a power wheelchair that, you know, you're not, you can't just lift up a power wheelchair and help them inside. But if you literally just had a tiny little piece of wood, like the smallest little ramp, I mean, you could just literally put something together. It doesn't have to be official you're making things so much more inclusive. I rather have a wooden ramp or a back door or a side door or get me through the kitchen or something, but don't tell me like, no, that it's not possible. That's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just So I mean. guess the advocacy is reaching out to businesses to make the knowledge known more about how to be more accessible for people that may need it and put it out there, keep it, make it public information and maybe work with you to figure out about what they can and can't do. I mean, that's, you sound like a great resource for any owner that maybe doesn't know someone like that and doesn't, doesn't really think about this or that. So they could just reach out to your foundation and then get a better understanding yeah. of what to do going forward and yeah. how to I mean, be that if, if you're a hotel, don't have a shower bench on one side and the handheld shower nozzle completely on the opposite side. So you're like, reaching really far to try to shower and holding the water. I mean, there's, there's functional things that, you know, if you just have a consultant or just think about it for like two seconds, um, it definitely, it definitely improves things. Um, or even like cobblestones, for example, like when I was in, in Japan, um, I mean, like there's cobblestones, people are like, Oh, it's, a, it's an old building. Um, Oh, we can't make changes, you know, we don't want to change the history, blah, blah, totally get it. Nobody's asking to pave over the rainforest or to destroy history, but there's a way to create a wooden ramp over the threshold of, you know, let's say a big um, walkway entrance or something like that, 
or, you know, yeah, making a ramp in a different space in order for people to get in and see something of that attraction or part of that building. Maybe, you know, it's an historic building. They can't go to the second floor. So have pictures and videos of that second floor, but still allow them to go inside downstairs and kind of explore downstairs and stuff like that. Give people give people something. Um, there's ways of absolutely doing everything. And I love going to Japan and, and seeing crazy old temples and shrines and seeing accessibility made in places. I was just so thrilled. And I had, I have so many ideas. So when people say like, Oh no, we can't make this accessible. Oh, it's too old. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's a way. There's a way to make it accessible. Everybody wins. There's portable ramps. You know, you don't, you can have things that are not even out all the time. There's, there's ways to make things more inclusive for everybody. I love it. And actually, I want to just start wrapping this up. So give us that message that at take home, like this is what to do. Or this is like a last bit of inspiration for those that maybe have gone through a similar situation or just need that kind of kick in the butt to get moving forward. It's definitely all, it's definitely all in the mind for sure. Um, I would like to encourage everybody to work on controlling your perspective. I feel like that is, that is the gift that God has given us. It's not what you look at. It's what you see. You have the power to choose what you see about a situation. Um, yes, there's there's positive and negatives literally to pretty much everything on the planet. Every person, every situation, everything has a positive and negative aspect. That's the balance to life. So it's like, what are you gonna what are you gonna focus on for yourself? You have that choice. Choose positively, choose for your own wellness, choose for the wellness of others, choose a positive perspective. I love it. I'm all about Mr. Positive. So that's my favorite part about all mm -hmm. that. <laughs> and then last bit, where can people find you, get a hold of you, all that good stuff? And how can they contribute to those in need? Um, so the website is a uh, wheelchairtraveling.com and I'm on all the, all the social media stuff as well. And my first book that I had just written that came out in September is called confined to aligned and that can be found on Amazon. And that's all about my experience, um, overcoming hospitalization during a pressure sore surgery. That was an emergency surgery, life or death. Um, basically I could have died from a blood infection, what Chris Reeve died from. Um, it was very traumatic. Um, but I basically implemented a lot of things, um, about mind control and mental control and things that, you know, all these masters, you know, meditation masters, you know, for centuries have been saying, and then all these modern gurus too have been saying about mindfulness and all that kind of stuff. I literally took actual tools that they said and implemented them while I was in the hospital with a roommate wearing a diaper with alarms going off and madness happening completely all the time, I was able to implement all these tools and basically create um, a meditation retreat where I was at and elevate my, my ability to control my perception and how I see the world, which to me, I feel like is, is the key to life. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And thank you guys for joining us on this week's episode of health and fitness redefined. Don't forget. Hit that subscribe button and join us next week as we dive deeper into this ever-changing field. And remember, fitness is a journey, not a destination. 
Until next time. For us, we know what it's like to feel unhealthy, depressed, and downright defeated. We want to show others there is a right way. And through fitness, you could do anything you set your mind to. Fitness can give you that motivation, confidence, energy you need to bridge that mental gap and prevent you from missing important life events. We understand it's about feeling better, living longer, and being good examples for our kids. We understand this because we live it. And for us, that's the redefined difference.